0: Good morning, good news. Welcome. My name is Tony Willis. I am the Children's Ministry Director here and wanted to say I'm so excited that we get to spend the morning together. If you are new and visiting, this is your first time, a special welcome to you. If you look in the seat backs in front of you, you'll see one of these. This is our Connect card. We would love for you to fill it out. Um, And just drop it in one of the black boxes on your way out. If you look at the Connect card, um, you'll see that there are some next steps that you can mark if you would like to take. And one of those next steps is our Discover Good News class. And so if you have been attending for a while and you'd like to know more about who we are, or if you would like to find out more information about making good news your church home, then this would be your next step. You can see on the screens here, we have two dates that are coming up in February. And so if you're interested in attending one of those dates, we would love for you to mark that on your card and let us know that we can be expecting you. Um, One of the things that has been such a pleasure in my life has been being able to serve here at Good News as your children's ministry director. And over the past almost 10 years now, I have made some amazing friendships and relationships with those that I serve alongside of. And so coming up, we are going to have a luncheon on February the 18th, and this is for all of our leaders that serve in kindergarten through fifth grade in the elementary side. And we're going to have a time to celebrate God and to celebrate what He is been doing through our children's ministry and just a time for fellowship. And so if you are one of my leaders, a special invitation to you to join us. We'll be gathering right after the second service. And um, just wanted to let you know, too, a little bit more about children's ministry. And so I asked one of my good friends, Cindy Taylor, to come on up and share with you.
1: I wore the
0: Good morning, Cindy. How long have you been serving in children's ministry?
1: I've been serving in children's ministry basically since we started, about 27 years. I started
0: in the nursery over at um, Riverview Club with Karen. (laughs) Cindy has been by my side. Um, I have children here that have grown up and been raised in and out of the children's ministry, and I'm so thankful that they've had Cindy to speak into their lives and Just to help guide them it's been such a blessing for me and so cindy what would you say to someone who may be out there and maybe considering stepping into serving at children's ministry what would you say
1: okay i'm going to hold this really far because i'm allowed uh just like this says don't miss it that's the message that i wanted to say is you are missing out if you're not involved in kids ministry this is such an opportunity not only to partner with parents But there are kids that come to our ministry that don't have parents that know Jesus. And, man, being able to speak truth into these kids' lives, being able to give them tools to use, this world is going this way, not this way. we got to equip our kids, and this is such a privilege. And if you've even thought of doing this, there are places you can serve that you don't have to be with kids. There are places where you can pour in and love on these kids. It's amazing. I have never walked away in 27 years, never walked away less than when I walked in. I've always walked away with more joy, more encouragement, more love in my heart. And and it's just an amazing, amazing thing that God gives us the opportunity to do. And this is something that when we dedicate babies, when we baptize, we stand up and we say, we'll partner with you. And that's an opportunity we have. So I'm just saying, don't miss it. That's it. Thank you, Cindy.
0: (laughs) Can I I go? go. Cindy's right. There are so many times that I'm working on our lessons throughout the week and preparing different activities for our kids and So many times I often think, God, is this for the kids or is this for me? Because I feel like I get more out of it sometimes um, probably than anyone else. But um, so I would just like to invite you if you've thought about serving in children's ministry, but you haven't been sure, you didn't know, you know, if you could do it, if it was a right fit for you. I would love to invite you to our luncheon on February the 18th. Like I said, right after the second service, right after the 1030 service, we're going to have lunch. We're going to have a time for fellowship with each other, and then there's going to be some equipping time also to go over and make sure that everyone is on the same page and trained up the way that they should be so that they have confidence to serve. So if you are interested, would you please mark that on your card and let me know, and then that way I can reach out to you sometime this week. I would love that. Well, let's pray while Smiley comes up. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the ability to come and gather together and learn more about you. Lord, we love you so much. And we just pray over this time, pray for Smiley, pray that our hearts would be open to receive your word. And Lord, we pray that you would just help us to grow deeper and deeper in love with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
2: Thank you, Tony. Last December I shared with you a little bit about some of the financial challenges that we faced and people have asked me about. And so we we finally got our 2023 finances uh, together and wanted you to see that uh, last year our giving was, we had $2,469,362 given. Thank you so much for amazing giving and yet our expenses were more than that. Uh, You can see that and so the results were We ended up the year $109,000 behind what our expenses were. Uh, During good years, we had saved up, so we had some uh, savings to cover that. But wanted you to know that uh, January was not a particularly good month of giving. And we believe that investing in good news is a good investment. You're investing in making disciples here and around the world. Uh, you're investing in a church that's committed to the truth in the middle of a culture that's abandoned the truth and think it's a, an amazing and important opportunity. So I really encourage you, Jesus told us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, that you would pray with us for that. And if you're able to give, we would really appreciate that. Matter of fact, why don't we just stop and pray? Lord, you said to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And Lord, I think for all of us. It, they're tough times financially, so meet the needs of us as individuals and families, and Lord as a church family. Stir hearts and meet our needs that we might continue to proclaim truth and make disciples here and around the world. and we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Speaking of making disciples on your seat, hope, or not on your seat, when you came in, hopefully you were given a study. If you're new, uh, the first of every month, we produce a study. And it is a disciple-making tool. Disciples make disciples, but a tool can help. Uh, Please take this. There's a place in here for message notes. Uh, The small group lesson, the cues in there. There There's an opportunity for daily Bible reading. We're reading through Matthew, and we're having an amazing time and would love for you to read through that with us. So please make sure you take your study with you. Also, I have been sharing the last few weeks, uh, actually the whole month of January, for some opportunities for you to become a disciple maker. And so I wanted you to know that starting this coming week, there is that wave. There will be on Sunday mornings, on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock, Jeff Rott, uh, one of our elders will be leading a disciple making group. And then on Fridays at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'll be leading a a disciple-making room in the Connect room right outside of here. And on Thursday in the late afternoon, Mindy DeAngelis will also be leading a disciple-making group. If you haven't signed up, this is kind of the last opportunity to hop in. Those are when they're available. We would love the opportunity to really build into you and help you become a a reproducing disciple-maker. and speaking of that, we rejoice this week that we saw three people who profess faith in Christ, and we rejoice with that. And what's really, really exciting is we had three people, three evangelists, three new evangelists who led someone to faith in Christ. And we're really excited because the last few years, God's been doubling the number of evangelists. So we're praying this year for 202 evangelists to have a chance to introduce a friend to a best friend, and hopefully all of you are praying, Lord, I'd like to be one of those. And since I'm talking about evangelists, do you know what kind of car evangelists prefer? You you know what kind of car evangelists prefer? Come on. Convertibles, right? (laughs) They like convertibles. They like to convert people, right? Uh, That's good. Hey, hey. Listen, if you're new, welcome. We love to open up God's Word and read it together. And we're reading through the Sermon on the Mount, studying the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5. Bring a Bible with you. If you don't have one, we have some in the lobby. You can grab one. And uh, we've been learning. uh, We've been learning the eight keys to happiness. If you'd like to be happy, we've been learning week by week a different key to happiness. And this morning, we come to the fourth one. They're often called the Beatitudes. We call them the keys to happiness. But in Matthew 5, verse 6, we read, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So, So the point of today's message is just like the verse. We're just changing one word. What we're going to explore is happier those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Jesus gathers his disciples together. He's teaching them what it looks like to follow him. And the first thing that he shares are eight keys to happiness. The word blessed means happy, and it occurs nine times in the eight Beatitudes. What, is it, what do you mean happy? First of all, what blessed means is we have God's favor. Listen, if God is for us, the Bible says what? Who can be against us? You know what it means to be happy? It means the joy giver moves in and invites us to follow him. There is nothing that will change your life more than believing in your heart that Jesus is the joy giver. He is. And he knows the path to happiness better than you, and he invites you to follow him. You're not convinced. Okay. What was the first miracle Jesus did? What was it? He was turning water to wine. Why? Because he wanted what? To keep the party going, right? What was Jesus accused of? Was he accused of of not having fun? He was accused what? Of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. He was having so much better time than the religious leaders. They thought something was wrong with him. Jesus said our problem, what? Was not too much joy. It was not enough. We read about the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is what it's Love what? Joy. Oh, you want to change life? Jesus, the joy giver, invites us to follow him. And what we've been learning is about a kingdom. When we submit our lives to King Jesus, we enter his kingdom. His kingdom is now and not yet. When we follow Jesus in this life, we can be reasonably happy in this life, knowing we're going to be supremely happy in the life to come. And we're left here on earth. In an unhappy world, to be a preview of coming attractions that when people see our joy and our happiness, they want to be a part of the main event. And that's why happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So let's unpack that. We unpacked happy. Let's move to the next, who hunger and thirst. We don't know much about that in America, do we? I mean, physical hunger and thirst, we have grocery stores and we have running water. But do you know, at that time, they would have known what it was like to be hungry. They would have known what it was like to be thirsty. Sometimes I imagine bringing someone from that time or from most of the world into one of our grocery stores can you imagine the wonder that would fill their face when they see so much food? And then, you know what I would love to do with someone? I'd love to turn the faucet on. And you know what they would see? Something they never dreamed of, running water. And we take food. We take water so for granted. We are so blessed to have food and and water. Um, so we don't know so much about physical hunger and thirst like they would have, but we do know about spiritual hunger and thirst like they did. We do. Um, listen. Sometimes people say, you know, Christianity is is a white person's religion. You need to know that it's not true. That that our Savior was a Middle, Middle Easterner. Did you know that? And did you know the greatest theologian in the history of the church was an African? Did you know that? Did you know that our city is named after the greatest theologian in the history of the world? His name's Augustine, and did you know he was an African? And as we talk about a spiritual hunger and thirst, here's what Augustine said. Augustine, listen to this, he says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. There is a hunger and a thirst in our hearts that only Jesus can satisfy. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. And Augustine's quote comes right out of the book of Ecclesiastes, really. In Ecclesiastes, look at this verse. <clears throat> uh, he has made everything appropriate in his time. He has also set eternity in their heart. God put eternity in our hearts. The reason we love to share with people about how to have eternal life is because there's a hunger in our heart for Jesus. There's a hunger in our heart to live forever. God put it there. That hunger and thirst that would draw us to him. He has made everything appropriate in his time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. So, listen. Listen. Happy, God wants us to be happy, are those who hunger and thirst, those who recognize their spiritual hunger, and they bring that hunger and thirst to the only one, the only one who can satisfy that thirst, and that's Jesus and his righteousness, his righteousness. Hunger, happier those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Um, It's only the righteousness of Christ that can satisfy our hearts. Let me show you that in John 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. I mean, what if there was bread that gave life? And if you'd eat, you'd never hunger again. There is that bread. His name is Jesus And he who believes in me will never thirst. What if there were living water we could drink and never thirst again? There is. You see, the only thing that can ever satisfy our hearts is Jesus, the bread of life, His living water, His righteousness. His righteousness. When the Bible speaks, are happier those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I'm going to... Put on my I love theology hat, okay. <clears throat> Sometimes we have to think a little harder than usual, okay. So I, I'm gonna get a little theological here, so stay with me and you'll be glad you did. <clears throat> when, when we speak about righteousness, there's two kinds of righteousness that we need to understand, okay. First of all, there is uh, passive righteousness, we're going to explore what that is, there's a passive righteousness. And then there is an active righteousness. And if we're going to understand, happier those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we need to understand active and passive righteousness and how they're both found in Jesus. So let's start with passive righteousness. This is the great doctrine of justification by faith that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. This righteousness we receive. This righteousness we rest in. That's the doctrine of justification. But listen, the active righteousness is the doctrine of sanctification. The doctrine of sanctification. That's a righteousness that we pursue. That's a righteousness that we pursue by following Jesus. And so if we're going to be happy and we're going to bring our hunger and thirst to Jesus, it's important that we understand the difference between the passive righteousness that we receive and the active righteousness that we pursue, but they both bring us to Jesus. So, let's start. I love the first time words are used in the Bible. If you look at the first time words occur in the Bible, they kind of set the pattern for the rest of the Bible. So, which do you think comes first? Do you think the Bible mentions passive righteousness or active righteousness first? What do you think? It's passive. Did you know that? The first time, it's passive righteousness. In Genesis 15, look at this verse. It's speaking about Abraham. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That's the first time the word occurs in the Scriptures. It's a passive, it's a righteousness that Abraham received. Now, don't miss this. So many people think in the Older Testament that people were saved, they were made right with God through keeping the law. No, no. The only way that anybody has ever been made right with God is through faith. Abraham, God made him a promise that one day one of his descendants would be the Savior of the Lord. And Abraham looked forward to that, believed in that, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. We, on the other side of Jesus, we look back to what he did, and we're given righteousness too. So... The first time righteousness is used, it speaks of the passive righteousness that we receive by faith. Abraham received it by faith. Have you? Oh, let me show you that. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans 3 because I'm going to read through a long passage. Now, remember, this is about passive righteousness. It's something we receive by faith. In Romans 3 verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? I mean, as Christians, do we think we're better than other people? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. How many? Together they've become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one how often when I share the gospel with people, they'll say, well, Smiley, what about the good person? He's a good person. He's just never heard about Jesus. To which I say, well, that person doesn't have anything to worry about. There's only one problem. What? There aren't any. There aren't any. There is um, uh, there's not even one. Now, notice what says next. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving, the poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Oh, Jesus said it's what comes out of the mouth that condemns a man, right? Oh, doesn't that sound like our culture today, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like us? Our mouths reveal what's in our heart? Their feet are swift to shed blood. Do we not live in a violent world? Of of domestic violence and And murder and abortion and war, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. Don't we self-destruct as people and families and nations? And the path of peace they have not known. Uh, Notice the next one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You ever look around our country and say, what's gone wrong? You know what's gone wrong? There's no fear of God. Oh, people fear what other people think about them, but they don't fear God. Remember what Jesus said? Don't worry about people. Don't fear people. All they can do is kill your body. Fear God, because after He kills your body, He can cast your body and soul in hell forever. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know how the healing of our land begins with the healing of God's people, that we fear God. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The reason God gave, one of the reasons God gave his moral law is so that we would realize we're sinners. not convinced that every mouth may be closed? Have you you put God first in every decision you ever made, have you? If you haven't, you've broken the first commandment. I mean, did you ever disobey your parents or not honor them growing up? Did you ever? If you did, then you've broken the fifth commandment. Have you ever called someone an idiot? Do you drive? (laughs) You've broken the sixth commandment. Ever been involved in sex outside of marriage or even had a lustful thought? You've broken the seventh commandment. Have you ever wanted, ever been jealous or envious of someone else? You've broken the tenth commandment. We all have. Oh, sins are crimes against God, and the law convicts us all, especially me. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets, the older Testament said a Savior is coming, a Savior is coming, put your faith in Him and be saved. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, there is no distinction. There is a righteousness we can receive, not one we produce, it's one we receive and rest in, have you? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice, being justified, being made right with God, being justified as a gift. We don't earn God's favor. We're justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. The word propitiation means to appease the wrath of God. The response of a just God to sin is one of wrath. And you say, what? Well, how do you feel when you hear of a child who's abused? How do you feel when you hear of a lady who's raped? How do you feel? Aren't you angry? If the response of sinful people to others' sin is one of anger, how much more is the response of a holy God to sin one of wrath and anger? So Jesus came to experience the wrath of God on on our behalf. Um, This was to demonstrate His righteousness. Uh, God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, to get into heaven, you have to be perfect. So we have a twofold problem. One is we have sinned and we have a debt we need to pay. And the other is we're not perfect so we could never get in. So Jesus came to take care of both of those. That God the Son put on flesh and came to earth and he lived a perfect life for us. And when we believe in Jesus, we get credit for his life, not ours. And then he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. It says that God passed over sins previously committed. (laughs) You see, on the cross, if you want to see what our sin deserves, look at Jesus on the cross. You need to know no one will ever get away with sin. Every sin ever committed will be punished, either in us, in hell forever were in Jesus on the cross once and for all. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The just God put our sins on his son and punished him in our place. Sin will be punished. God is love. He's the justifier. He made a way for sinners to be forgiven, for sinners to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ through Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Jesus lived a perfect life for us. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose. He offers us eternal life to forgive us our sins, the chance to do life in eternity. He offers us the most amazing exchange ever. He says if we would give him our sins, he would forgive us. And then he would give us his righteousness. Oh. I mean, talk about the deal of ages. Wouldn't you like to exchange your sin for his righteousness? The only way to get into heaven is to exchange your sin for his righteousness. Well, how do you do that? It's by faith. It's by saving faith, which is as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and command. And if you've never done that, if you'd like to make the exchange of all exchanges, man, you can do that now. Or, or I'll give you a chance when we close in prayer. But it starts when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. Won't you do that? And then Jesus, I believe you lived a perfect life for me. And and then you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then and then we commit. Jesus, come in and forgive me and give me your righteousness and and eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Hmm. Won't you? And if you have, listen, be happy. Be happy you have experienced, the the exchange of the ages, that you gave your sins to Jesus and they were punished and he gave you his righteousness. That is what it says, happier those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who recognize their sin, those who receive the righteousness of Christ for they will be satisfied because they know they have God's favor now because they're standing before God is not based on their performance but Christ. But remember, happier those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied that justification leads to sanctification, sanctification. And sanctification is something we pursue. Sanctification is when we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus moves in and he gives us the Holy Spirit. And so we begin to pursue active righteousness, Jesus says, follow me, and he becomes our model for life and ministry, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. Do you know why lost people don't follow Jesus? You know why? They only have two problems. You know what they are? They don't want to, and they're not able to. That's why when we become Christians, we're born again. We're regenerated. We become new people. And Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to give us the want to, and the power to follow Him. How do you recognize the Holy Spirit in your life? He says Jesus is wiser than you, follow Him. He knows the path to happiness better than you do, follow Him. He lived a beautiful life, don't you want to follow Him? I mean, come on, who wants to hunger and thirst for wronginess, right? I mean, don't you want to hunger and thirst for righteousness to live a beautiful life, not a wrong life? Oh, what is sanctification? Uh, John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How do you read that? You know how a lot of people read that? Man, if you're a Christian, you better keep his commandments if you love him. But you know what Martin Luther said about this verse? He said, love God and do as you please. Listen, if you love God, you'll do what pleases Him. You will. That's what Jesus is saying. Man, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You will. Oh, when Jesus captures our hearts... When He captures our hearts and we know He loves us, that, that He's wiser, that he, He's the joy giver, then we gladly give Him our hands and feet to follow Him. Oh, in 1 John 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God. What does it look like to love God? For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Oh, Listen, when Jesus is our treasure, following Him will be our pleasure. When Jesus is our treasure, we want to worship Him. When Jesus is our treasure, we want to read His Word. It's all about Him. When Je- Do you want to? Listen, when Jesus is our treasure, we want to follow him. When Jesus is our treasure, we want to love his people. When Jesus is his people, we want, is our love, we want to share him with everyone. Um, and that's why I put on my theological hat, okay? Because what we learned are happy Are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The only way our hearts will ever be satisfied is when we realize that we're sinners. And so we receive the righteousness of Christ. Have you? And then as we receive him and his Holy Spirit moves in, then we begin to follow the righteous one. That's justification that leads to sanctification. So, moving from theology to our diet, uh, I'm, going to, um, I'm going to give you an action step. And, and here's the action step for this week. I want you to change your diet, to change our diet. Yeah. What, what do I mean? What do I mean? Listen to this Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. Are you happy? Do you want to be? Bring your hunger to Jesus. He satisfies what you need. It's not, not a bigger house or a new car. What you need is Jesus. You need His righteousness. Oh, and he who believes in me will never thirst. What our hearts hunger and thirst for is Jesus. And so what I want us to do, what I want us to do this week is to bring our hunger and thirst to Jesus. Let's rest. Let's rest in His righteousness. Let's rest in His righteousness, not our own. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It was Thursday morning, and um, listen, when... When I was younger and we had young kids, uh, I always wanted to sleep in but never could because we have kids. Now I'm old and I can sleep in, but my body won't let me. Like Saturday, I try and sleep in, but I can't. But this Thursday, I had a 7 o'clock disciple-making group, and, uh, and I kind of pride myself on being on time, and uh, I kind of have punctuality, self-righteousness. It's 7.10, I'm meeting them at 7, and Karen hits me. It's light outside, shouldn't you be up? Oh, you know what I did? I, I failed. What do we do with our failures? Um, so I got up, and, and, I, and I said, Lord, I'm so thankful to know you that our failures are not fatal. Listen, I fail a lot. I'm so thankful that my standing before God is not based on my punctuality, but it's on the righteousness of Christ, aren't you? What do you do with your failures? You know what the world tells us to do with our failures? Drink and forget. But you know what's so great about being a Christian? Jesus says what? Drink, what, and remember. Matter of fact, in a few minutes, we're going to come and drink And remember, right, isn't that what Jesus is saying here? Bring your hunger and thirst to me. Rest in my righteousness. Oh, it is so good to know that our standing before God is not based on our performance, but his, isn't it? So this week, let's bring our hunger and thirst to Jesus when we fail and rest in his righteousness to receive and rest in our passive righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Because happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Uh, But this week, let's follow the righteous one. The righteous one's moved into us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He says, follow me. I'll be your model for life and ministry. Now, I've shared with you many times that... uh, that a disciple is a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that is a description. But I want to give you a picture. What does the disciple look like? Oh, you can spot a disciple because they love Jesus. How can you spot a disciple? They love one another. How do you spot a disciple? They love lost people. Isn't that who you want to be? Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let me show you a disciple. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. How do you spot a disciple? They have the biggest smile on their face. I can't believe he loves me. I can't believe he loves me. For the love of Christ controls us having concluded this, that one died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Christ died and rose, yes, so we could live forever, but from the moment we met him, everything would change. It happened in my life. Didn't it yours? When I met Jesus, I had a love for him. I still do, don't you? I loved his people. I still do, don't you? And I had a love for the lost. Oh, and the love of Christ controls us, we love to worship. We remember there were ten lepers. Only one came to give thanks. And when Jesus comes to his house on Sunday, we want to be here and say, thank you. We love to meet him in his word, right? Because <laughs> we love him. We love to spend time with him. We love to follow him. Oh, are you struggling with a sin in your life? The only way to overcome that sin is with a greater love. It is the expulsive power of a new and greater affection. You know what freed me from alcohol? You know what freed me from drugs? You know what freed me from rebelling against my parents? It was a greater love. For the love of Christ controls us. The most powerful force in the world is the love of Christ. And you can spot disciples because they walk around with a big smile. They can't believe Jesus loves them. Oh, disciples love one another. You know why? Because they love Jesus. And he commanded us to love one another. And because they love Jesus, they love his church. Matter of fact, in John 13, Jesus says a new commandment. I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. How often people say, well, Smiley, do I have to go to church? Listen. If you're a Christian, you don't have to do anything. But if you love Jesus, you'll love his people. You will. You know why I love the church? Because Jesus does. You know what? I mean, can you imagine telling a friend of yours, I love you, but your bride, your wife is repulsive? I love the church because Jesus loves the church. I love the church. For every flaw you see, I see 10. But I love the church because it's where broken people are welcome. Do you know we live in a cancel culture? If you do one thing wrong, you're canceled and there's no way back. You know what the church is filled with? Misfits and broken people. You know what brings us together? It's not how good we are. It's we all realize we need a Savior. I'm so thankful there's a place that you have to admit you're a sinner to belong, and that's the church of Jesus Christ. Do you know why I love the church? Because someone as rotten as me can be used by the Lord. Do you know this week I went to visit one of our, um, one of our members who's in hospice, and, and I went there to encourage her. But I was like Cindy, man. I, I went to encourage her, but Barbara encouraged me far more than I did. But Jesus can take me and go in a room, and it'd be an encouragement to someone. Do you know I got a call this week? from the lady who was my music director in the church I planted in Boca Raton for 11 years. She still remembers who I am. Her husband died this week, and she said, hey, smile, will you come and do the funeral? Do you know when Jesus found me? I was headed to destruction. I was wasting my life with alcohol and drugs and breaking the heart of my mom and dad every day of my life. And now, with all of my flaws, Jesus uses me to encourage other people while I love his church, don't you? Man, how do you spot a disciple? They love Jesus, do we? They love one another, do we? They they love the lost. His last command was what? To go and make disciples of all the nations. How can we be happy? In an unhappy world, without sharing with others the key to our happiness, how can we be satisfied with the righteousness of Christ, surrounded by people who are wrecking their lives, trying to satisfy that hunger and thirst in other places, without sharing with them? What you need is Jesus. I don't know what your life is like, but people are continually coming to me and saying they're not happy. They're continually coming to me and saying they're not satisfied. They're coming to me and saying they're, they're, listen, that they're struggling with some sin in their life they cannot overcome. So this week, when someone shares with you, they're not happy. They're not satisfied. They have a sin they can't overcome. Give them Jesus, won't you? You have what they need, don't you? Won't you share with them, hey, you know what we learned at church on Sunday? Happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Oh, you know what his kingdom is? It's people who are reasonably happy in this life, knowing they're going to be supremely happy in the life to come. His kingdom is people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, to, to rest in His righteousness and to follow the righteous one. So that when people see and say, hey, I want what you have. So this week, will you change your diet? Will you bring your hunger and thirst to Jesus and rest in His righteousness and follow the righteous one. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming to save sinners, for living a perfect life for us, for dying on the cross for our sins, for rising and offering us eternal life. Thank you for the greatest offer ever that that we can exchange hell for heaven, sin for forgiveness. We can give you our sin and receive your righteousness back. Listen, if you've never received Jesus and you'd like to make that exchange, he's here. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my savior and forgive me. Give me your righteousness. Give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, way to go. Uh, Won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I pray for all of us who have received passive righteousness that we would leave here skipping and rejoicing and shouting that we have exchanged our sin for your righteousness. Lord, I pray that we would leave here rejoicing that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, get to follow the righteous one, that we get to follow the one who's wiser than we are. We get to follow the one who knows the path to happiness better than we do. Lord, we pray this week that people could see that we love Jesus, that we love one another, that we love the lost. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.